Um, so I want you to begin to imagine some things that will probably be true of you one day should the Lord let you live long enough. So you can just imagine yourself that, that you realize you don't see as well as you used to see. Now, it didn't happen quickly, and so just over years and years and years, it's gotten harder to see and harder to see and harder to see. And you finally just realize, I, I, I don't see. And going along with that is your hearing has begun to dim a little bit. But more than dimming a little bit, what's happened is anytime there's noises around and you're trying to hear a voice or understand what's going on and the amount of concentration it takes is so much that it's like you can't hear and you can't concentrate when there's noises all around you. And on top of that, you know that your mind's slipping just a little. You don't remember things the way you used to remember them. It, you, you lose the keys a little more often than you used to lose them. It takes so much work to just understand what's going on and form a thought and then respond to people. And the world keeps getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And you find that you have to go slower and slower and slower. And it's not too rare to hear someone blaring their horn behind you because you're going that much slower than them. It's not, it's not that, uh, that rare a thing that, that somebody just gives you the look because you're going that slow. And then on top of that, every doctor's appointment, there's just that little bit of a- apprehension and anxiety. Will, be, will this be the one where I get a diagnosis? Will this be the one where they tell me it's dementia? Will this be the one where they want to run some more tests for cancer? Will this be the one where I find out that I'm not going to be able to live on my own anymore because something's going to radically change from the news of this doctor? And then you go home from that to a house that's way emptier than it's ever been. And you spend more time alone than you would like. And you have wonderful kids, but they're doing their life And maybe they're in a different state now. And you're so thankful for what God's done in their life. And you're thankful that they have their own families. And you're thankful that that they're making, you know, doing the things they're supposed to in life. But that also means they don't get to visit that much anymore. And you spend a good amount of time in a quiet house with all of these challenges and with all of these fears and with, with all of these thoughts going through your mind. And then there's always the looming question, when am I not going to be able to live alone anymore? When am I not going to be able to just function and be independent anymore? And this is the experience of getting older. This is the experience as we age, these things begin to happen. And you you walk by and people see wrinkles on the face and they see gray on your hair and they don't have any clue of all the life that went into that. All the experiences, all the investments in people, all of the care, all of the raising of a family, all the work without facing some heartbreaks and some tragedies and all the joys and all the celebrations that, that made this person in front of you. And people just pass by and largely get irritated because you just told the same story again. And your kids, they, they rush you and they, they get impatient so easily because... It just takes you a little longer and you just fumble around a little more. And this is the experience of so many people around you. And we just go on with our lives and don't realize it. And so what do we do? What does the gospel demand of people to help seniors 
age with dignity and with honor and with affirmation and with encouragement. Does the gospel even care how we treat people that are different than us or older than us? Absolutely. The longest section, I think, that I can find in Timothy is devoted to how will we as individuals and we as a church treat those who are older than us, especially those who are, who are widows. And so what do we offer? What hope do we give? What support do we give? What posture do we take? When it comes to dealing with widows, and I would say by extension, those who are elderly or those who are, who are senior adults. And so that's what the text is going to talk about. How, how do we, as our parents begin to age, honor them well as they get older and maybe even more infirmed as they do that? How do we as a church honor and love and support seniors? And so that's what the text today is going to be about as we, as we walk through it. And so we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. And again, the main theme of 1 Timothy has been guard the purity of the gospel message. And Timothy, I mean, Paul is going to tell Timothy twice, even in this passage today, part of guarding the purity of the gospel message is how you treat and take care of widows. And again, I'm going to say by extension, senior adults who are beco- becoming infirmed by the process of by the process of aging. And so, guard the purity of the gospel message. The last couple of weeks, we looked at 10 straight bullet point or bullet commands from Paul to Timothy, just machine gun fashion, command, 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 command. And, and, and it's centered around the idea of how does he influence the hearts of the congregation to win them back from false teaching to faithfulness to Jesus? What does a young man do in a congregation to win their hearts for Jesus? And a simple formula that I think captures the, the majority of that. Consistent character, loving, growing, and putting the word of God before people, and then using your gifts to serve the body called the church with all your might, and you will find that results in influence. Now, you want influence, character, seriousness is about the word and putting the word before people and then serve and get your gifting. Serve and serve and you'll find influence flows out of your life from that. And then he just gave him to end that set of commands and to begin today's message, he gave them this little insert. There's some practical considerations on how do you talk to and how do you try to win over different ages and different genders within the, within the church. And so his governing command was like, how do you talk to older men? How do you talk to older women? How do you talk to your peers who are men? How do you talk to your peers who are women? And the governing question was very simple. How do I communicate this to someone in a way that gives it the best chance to be heard by them or received by them? And so how do I talk to fathers, not harshly rebuking them, but gently encouraging change of life, words, and behavior? How do I, how do I talk to my, my peers? And I went off on a random analogy that nobody understood. That's okay. The point is this. We have a tendency with men to be like, if I can, if I can hold you accountable hardcore and I can really punch you with accountability, then you're like, yeah, that, I feel good because I was accountable. And then you can punch me back with like, yeah, I feel really good because you're accountable and I called out your sin. The question becomes, how do we give Jesus and the gospel to someone who is caught in their sin? Right? And so, yes, it may be more firm man to man. 
But how do you take it and make sure the firmness is pressing the gospel on them to come to Christ and to see Christ and to turn to Christ? And so how would you do that? And then they were special concern. How do you do that with women who are your peers? Right? You got to do that with purity. You got to do that with caution. Right? And so, but, but that framework gave us the framework for today. And what was the framework? How do you talk to older men? How do you talk to older women? How do you talk to your uh, peers? Father, mother, brother, sister. A, the church is a family, and family is the framework by which we encourage and challenge each other to growth. And now he's going to apply that in this passage to how does the church view widows? How does the church, by extension, view the elderly? And by elderly, I mean those who, have, who are, their functioning is declining, or their ability to do things is declining. Um, how, how do they do that? Well, this is the church's mothers. How do you honor your mother? This is the church's fathers. How do you honor the fathers, right? So family is the framework of how we relate to each other, and family is the framework of how we then take responsibility for different groups that need more support than other groups, right? There's a reason that far more people are involved and far more money is spent on taking care of our children than about any other group. They need a lot more direct, hands-on care and investment. They, they aren't able to do a lot of these things for themselves. And then uh, both ends of the spectrum he talked about. And so uh, let's read, and then we'll, we'll jump into the text. Verse 3, chapter 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things so that they will be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially the members of his household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the, husband, or the wife of one husband, having reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry and bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who truly are widows. Let's pray together. Father, this is an interesting and different kind of text you put into your word today. But it pushes against so many areas of our heart and so many areas of our culture. And so, Lord, I pray your word would break us open. Lord, if there are attitudes or postures, if there's treatment or activities that your spirit wants to grow and change within us, then he would have free reign over our hearts to call us to repentance, 
to call us to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness applied to people that are different than ourselves. And so, Father, we need help. Your Holy Spirit is a great helper, a powerful helper. And so we pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the gospel leads us to tangibly honor the elderly. The gospel leads us to tangibly honor the elderly. I'll apologize in advance if that's not the PC word that you want to be called if you fit in this category. I, I don't know, like, you know, best I can do, okay? Please know, love, and, uh, you know, all that is behind it. The gospel leads us to tangibly honor the elderly. First, demonstrate your faith by honoring and caring for your aging family members. Demonstrate your faith by honoring and caring for your aging family members. Uh, Amy and I have just, by God's ordaining, had to walk through this much earlier than a lot of people. We have lost three of our four parents, and I think 10 years ago, 12 years ago, um, we lost the, the third one. And so we went through this in our early 30s with little kids. But so many people of our friends now are starting to feel the strain of, I've got you know, late elementary or teenage kids, and they're expensive, and they have activities, and I'm trying to keep up with them, and then my job is, is kind of progressed to the point where it has a lot of demands, and then college wants my money for these kids that are starting to leave my house, and parents are aging. Parents are starting to receive diagnosis. Parents are starting to need really tangible help and support. And it's like you're just being pulled in every direction. And, and there doesn't seem to be a right answer of which, which direction gets the most attention. And then you come to a, a passage like this, and it's like, what do we need to hear when it comes to how we think about and how we treat our parents who are aging? Right? What, what does God want to say to us when it comes to that? But I also think it's beyond that. What does God want to say to all of us when it comes to how do we think about and how do we treat elderly people, senior adult people, people that are, are, are a great deal older than us and a whole different you know, set of life experiences than us? How does the gospel, or does the gospel care how we treat them? Does the gospel have anything to say? Yes. And so I think a passage like this presses on our view and our actions when it comes to like how do we treat senior adults how do we treat widows and so uh, I want to talk first about our posture and then I want to talk about our practice and so you think about it like what do I do I've got aging parents and, and, and I've got these challenges that are going on in their life and, and they're starting to fumble for their keys and I just want to leave and they're starting to tell me the story that they've told me five times before and then and then they're like taking forever like why are you stuck why, why are you freezing why won't you just change right and I get a little frustrated by that. And so what do I, what do, I do? What, what biblical hope do I offer when they're on that end of life? And, and I see them slow down, and I see their strength beginning to fade. What do I do? And so, again, the posture I would start with, love them. Like, oh, that's simple, and that's in the Bible, right? Love them, yeah. But what, is it, what does the Bible tell us about love? Love is patient, and love is kind. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so is my posture towards them as they age and as maybe I, I feel like I'm taking on the parent role and I, and I feel my frustration, 
is love, patience, and kindness my determining attitude towards them? What else should my posture be? And this is going along with last week, and I think it's a a challenge, but it is a, a challenge I ask you to accept. The Bible says that you should admonish the idle, you should strengthen the weak, and you should uh, lift up the faint-hearted. It's just the way they are is not an excuse to let your parents drift into bitterness, to let your aging parents drift into um, a critical spirit or complaining all the time. Or like God may want to use you to help them grow and stretch them into an attitude of hope and joy in Jesus. Don't let them become bitter without you intervening. And so if I love my parents, then I'll find ways to encourage them to a lifestyle that is honoring to the Lord all the way to the end, right? And so I love them. I'm patient and kind. I love them. I'm going to help them not fall into some of the normal traps that come with not feeling well and with aging and and with the challenges that come with that. I understand, but it doesn't make it okay, and so I'm going to help with that. And then the third, I think, injunction of, like, posture, I would say, is this. Proverbs 18 talks about it is a folly to answer a person before you hear them. Do you, have you taken time to just ask questions of the senior adults in your life? Have you taken time to sit down with your parents? Like, cause, and just like, hey, I want to hear some of like, those big experiences of your life. I want to hear some about your childhood, if you remember. What are, what are some of the biggest pressures you're facing right now? You know, as, you, as you're going through whatever you're going through and you're talking about, what are some of the joys that you've had in your life? Do you understand this person? Because that's the weird thing. As kids, our parents don't really exist. They just keep us alive, and they they just kind of pay for stuff, and they let us do what we do. But then you become an adult, and you realize your parent is actually a human being. And they had real, real joys while you were growing up, and their heart got torn out of them while you were growing up, and they had amazing celebrations while you were growing up, and they had amazing hard stuff as you were growing up, and they were real human beings that experienced all that. And as an adult, you start to become almost peers with them where it's like, I, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to I hear you. And so we're so quick to tell them what they need to do, and we're so quick to talk to them, and we're so quick to get them moving on, or we're so quick, like, get out of my line. Like, there's only one way out of the church. Would you just get out of the way so it can go? And we're so slow to just like, I just want to hear about your life a little bit, and I just want to listen. My posture is love, patience and kindness. My posture is I'm not going to let my parents or the people that I'm connected to drift into the common temptations that come with aches and pains and age, and I'm going to listen. So that's a posture. And I would say 90% of your responsibility as a child or as somebody with a, a, an intimate relationship with a senior adult in your life, 90% of that should be this, just this posture. Right? What does that look like? Fleshed out. But there is one other thing, and it's practical. And, and I think what this text demands is, is this. I, I think I've simplified it into to the best formula I can. The level of their need. Now, if you're writing this down, put need in all caps and underline it about 12 times. The level of their need determines the level of your responsibility. The level of their genuine need determines the level of your family responsibility for them. Now, here's some cautions. We're going to spend a whole sermon talking about how to honor them. But here's a caution. If you know that your parents have a manipulative part to their personality, then you cannot let their aging 
become an opportunity to manipulate and control you in a way that is damaging to your other important relationships of your life. So some of the counseling material we go through talks about the TPT relationships. Temporary relationships, permanent relationships, temporary relationships. Your relationships with your kids, as long as it seems, goes very, very fast, and it is temporary. They will leave your home. They will start a family. They will be, hopefully, suffi- you know, before the Lord, self-sufficient. They will, they will be gone. It's temporary. Your relationship to your spouse is till death do you part. And you cannot sacrifice, the, here's the point, you cannot sacrifice the permanent relationships of your life for the temporary relationships of your life. And so how do we balance that? That seems contradictory, right? No. Like, and, and again, your parents are a temporary. So temporary kids, parents are temporary, marriage permanent. And so what I have to do is I have to make sure that my, my relationship to my aging parents does not consume and destroy my relationship with my spouse. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to have to sacrifice for them. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have to push. Like, just your kids. you got to sacrifice for your kids. No way around it. But you can't kill your marriage in the process. And so, hopefully that makes sense. The need of your aging parents determines the level of responsibility. And here's just some areas I thought about. They have relational needs, right? And so, what I would encourage you is if your parents are not, you know, in the elderly or firm stage yet, And if they are not part of a local church, you fight tooth and nail to get them to go to a local church, plug in, and develop a community. Your job will be infinitely harder as a child if your parents are isolated from community. Because the relational uh, fabric of the church is meant to fill up so much of their relational and and encouragement life. And if they don't have that, then they're going to ask you to become their relational fulfillment. And you cannot fulfill the entire relational, sh- relational demands of your parents. Some of you are trying now. They're not even in old, uh, elderly yet. But, but they don't have any friends, and they probably don't like their husbands that much. And so it is on you as their child to keep them relationally fulfilled. That's not okay. Practically, the actual needs they face relationally, the actual needs they face when it comes to like just practical getting around. And, you know, our doctors aren't always awesome in Statesboro. If you're one of them, I love you, thank you. But sometimes people have a different level of need and they drive to Savannah. Well, if you're an elderly person going to get your eyes checked or going to get a, a doctor's appointment that's going to take a couple of hours and have a stress test in it, Getting to Savannah is not as easy as getting down the street. And so just practical, tangible needs like that. Well, that's a need. How do we as a family mobilize to meet those needs? Now, I know that's a really long introduction, but that's the text in a nutshell. That it is an obligation of believing family members to meet the genuine needs, not manipulated needs, not trying to control you needs, not destroying your marriage in the process needs, but the genuine needs of your life, it is your family's responsibility, our, our believing family, it's our responsibility to do that. Okay? And so let me go through the text just briefly uh, as we do this. So you look at verse 1. Honor widows who are truly widows. What is this passage about? How do we treat widows, or by extension senior adults, honor? Now, honor is a beautiful word for this because it's this broad, all-encompassing word. Honor can be a heart posture where I put weight and gravity and respect on a person. And honoring can be I write a check. 
And everything in between is encapsulated by this word honor. And so honor, what's the need? Respect, affirmation, um, looking up to, financial, anything in between. Honor those. And then the second main issue of the text, how do I view and deal with senior adults? Honor. Who needs to get special attention and care? True widows. So there are a lot of situations in this text that don't exist anymore, like we have Social Security and we have life insurance and we have retirement plans. So a lot of the conditions of this text don't exist anymore. But the heart of the text of honoring senior adults is probably more broken than at any time in our history. There is a despising of elderly, not a honoring uh, of elderly. And so more needed than any time. And then I'm just going to ask you to look at verse 2 and verse 8 to give you this point. The first level of meeting the needs of honoring senior adults is what? You as their family. And so if they have a daughter, if they have a son, if they have children, I would say if they have siblings, if they have grandchildren, part of your faith in Jesus, do you see that? They need to learn godliness. Part of, your, part of your authentic faith in Jesus Christ is how do you then meet the needs and care for those who are older than you, especially as they become infirmed. And so they need to learn godliness. Godliness is the theme of First, of first Peter, right? The, the mystery of godliness in chapter 3 is the gospel where Jesus gives you a godliness and gives you a righteousness because he lived perfectly and he died sacrificially and he rose again from the dead and he put that over your life and now you're godly. And then that godliness that is an internal transformation begins to work its way out and that is one of the primary concerns here is does, your, does the gospel inside of you come out of you in how you view and treat widows, how you view and treat Senior adults, how you view and treat your parents at different levels of their life. Does the gospel come out that way? Because you got to learn godliness. And then he gives two reasons, a natural one and a spiritual one. Naturally, your mama wiped your behind for years. Your mama got thrown up on for years. Your mama kept you alive. You would not be alive right now if she did not feed you. And so for years, decades of your life, she raised you and she was part of providing for you and she trained you. And for a good chunk of years, you don't live if she doesn't take care of you. So what is the natural cycle of life? There's going to be a time where you're called on to take care of them. Now, there's a lot of wisdom involved into like what are the points where I can't take care of anymore what are the points where like I I should do this and shouldn't do that walk through that with a godly counselor or, or somebody because that's really more than we could go into case by case the posture is how do I just make sure they're taken care of and if that makes sure they're taken care of because they need intensive all the time help little help but that's the point learning godliness it's the natural payback of the cycle of life but what's the spiritual reason you should do this it pleases the Lord. Like God would write a whole passage in his Bible, fleshing out the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. He would write a whole passage in the Bible, fleshing this out for you in the kind of the latter stages of their life. Is here's how you do it. It pleases the Lord. He takes enough thought of the seniors we dismiss to write a section of his Bible and how to not do that. And then verse 8, that's the positive, like learn godliness Love them and support them and make sure the 
essential needs of their life are met. What's verse 8 say? Well, if it's an expression of authentic faith to take care of them, what does it say if you won't? If somebody will not provide for their household. Now, men, this starts with our most intimate household. We are providers. And if we will not work, and as much as it depends on us, do whatever it takes to make sure our family is taken care of, then look at what it says. You're denying the faith when you don't take responsibility to provide to the ability you have, to the level you have, right? We're not sovereign. We're not in control, but to the ability I have. But then what if I look at at, at my parents and like, I'm sorry, I got nothing to do with you. I hope it works out. We have denied the faith when we refuse to be part of the provision, part of the meeting of needs for our family. Now, again, not the same situation. They didn't have retirement. They didn't have a social safety net. They didn't have social security. They didn't have any of this stuff back then. But the point was, whatever the level of need is, if we won't be part of providing for that need, the diagnosis It's like being an unbeliever. In fact, it's worse than being an unbeliever. Do you see that? You see, the lost world feels a responsibility to take care of their folks. And so when somebody's saved and an expression of godliness is doing it, and they don't do it, it's like worse than what lost people do naturally. And so if I had to boil this down really quickly to move on, as a family member, think of these areas, relational connections, mobility and daily tasks, household upkeep and financial And are there areas that need extra support? Need extra support, right? You cannot be the relational fulfillment of your parents. But you can be part of the relational network. And so here's what you do. You calculate the resources of your family. You evaluate the needs of your parents. Because if they're self-sufficient and they're functioning and and they're able to do most of their daily tasks, then you're just filling in little needs. And as they become more and more dependent, then you're mobilizing more and more resources in those areas. Do you honor, love with patience and kindness, don't let them fall into the temptations of age and ache, and do you listen? Because there's going to be a time they can't tell you stories anymore, and we know about that. There's going to be a time they can't tell you joys and sorrows anymore. There's going to be a time they can't remember their life for you and pass it on. Second, delight to repay the kindness and care of godly seniors. So, here it is as the church. If, if the church um, is a family, well, then who are widows? There are our aging mothers too. And so if the family has gaps in it, the church helps fill the gaps of the family's responsibility. And if there is no family, then the church becomes increasingly responsible for that person. right? And so here is a situation that doesn't exist anymore. They say, let the widow be enrolled. So there was an official list of widows who would receive intensive financial all-out care by the church. No retirement, no Social Security, no nothing. The church was solely responsible. So they had to find a way to qualify people to be on the intensive care list or to not be. And so if you have family to take care of you, start there. If you don't have family to take care of you, we've got to evaluate you by age, And we've got to evaluate you by profession of faith in Jesus. And we've got to evaluate you by character. That's what he says here. And won't spend much time other than to to say this. Let her be enrolled. 60 years old. Like, I don't know if you would say 60 is the new 80 or 80 is the new 60 maybe. With very low lifespans compared to us and very little medical care compared to us. 
60 was the age where they began to be infirmed. They could no longer work. They could no longer be self-sufficient. Their health problems began to multiply. And so 60 was the age where they started to enter that phase of declining ability. And so age was a factor. And then character, right? Starting with their, their marriage, where they committed and devoted to their marriage. Do they have a reputation within the church of being good people? And this is where I think it speaks to all of us. You, you can't wait till you're 60 to start caring about people. You can't wait till you're 60 or 80 in our case to start washing the feet of the saints, meaning humble service to saints. You can't wait till you're 60 to start looking at afflicted people and trying to lighten the load of their life. You can't wait till that. That's your job now, right? This is what these women did their whole lives. They spent their lives serving the church. They spent their lives walking into people's pain and lifting it up. They spent their lives walking into people's lives and say, here, use my home as a place of refuge and a place of welcome and a place of care. Here's, here's my life and here's my home. Take it. And then as they get older, they had mothered a church from infancy up. Now the church childs them until the end of their lives. And so what is the need and how does the church partner with the family to fill in the gaps? Here's something that's hard to hear. For our senior adults here and for your parents or for elderly elderly people that are part of your life, the end is coming. You can focus all your effort and intention on doctors and medicines and 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 physical needs and doctor's appointments, or you can help them have the hope of eternal life where this life ends and that life opens forever and forever, and we can prepare them for what's next more than being consumed with trying to make here work right because here ultimately will not work right. Here ultimately there will be a final diagnosis. Here ultimately there will be a final medicine. Here's ultimately there will be a last breath. And so how do we help them through this life But how do we fix their hope on a life to come? Because that life is closer than it's ever been. It's the same hope I want to give you to face wiping a kid's nose again or butt. But it's a closer hope and a closer need that you have to invest in the people that are older than you right now. Is yes, I want to meet their tangible needs, but I want to point to a better hope. Because that better hope, it's coming for us all. But they're getting closer to it. And I want their souls to rejoice in the day that's coming, not fear. To any degree that we can, what's coming. Um, So on the back, you see our deacon breakdown. Uh, We've just been trying to publish this from time to time. So these are what we have now, and and we may expand them or change them. Last week, we talked about spiritual gifts. How do you determine your gifts? You go do a bunch of stuff. So if you see something on this list where you're like, maybe I have a gifting for it. Maybe you already have a skill set for it. Maybe there is just a a burden in your heart to step into it. These are the men you contact. Because I have tasked and we have tasked every one of them, you can't do this area on your own. You develop a team to support you. You develop a team you can call on. You develop a team that is servants and training. You develop a team that is engaged in each of these, that can engage in these areas. And so what's your job? What is your gift and what is your skill set? You are now responsible to invest that in people and in the church. So contact them. But let me tell you this. Don't contact them because like, I'm in a church service and he told me. 
Like, if you, if you put your name on the list, you better answer the call when it comes, right? And so you see there, we've developed, we're working through seeming your teams as well. We want to do this better than we've done it in the past. And so there's, there's a little practical needs. Like, I'm on my own, I'm fine, I don't need you. But going to Savannah every once in a while gets hard, could somebody help me? Or look, I, I don't need you, I'm good, I take care of my home, everything's fine. But, man, I don't want to get up on a ladder to change that light bulb. You know, like... Stuff like that the church can do. Stuff like that you can do. Let these guys know you're around. Let, you guys, let these guys know you're available. I'd be happy to try that out. And some of them, you may not have a clue what you're doing. Because, like, like you, you see there's a, a, a broken thing. Like, over here, the confounded three-way switch got reversed, and that was my fault. And it drives me nuts. You cannot turn it off except for by one switch. And I have no clue how to do electric. I'll mess with it enough because I'm dumb. But I have no clue how to do it. You may have no clue how to do something at the church. And you know what? You message up Andy, and Andy's got a team of guys too. And you're like, I want to come help. And I have no clue what I'm doing. And Andy's going to be like, great. Now, in his mind, he might not say great. But he's going to be like, great, come on up here. We'll do it together. Because we want to train people to serve the Lord and serve the church, whether it's people or, or, or what's going on here. Check in with them. And we want to prioritize taking care of seniors in some key ways because we want to do it better than we've been doing it up until now. To show honor, we love you and value, but to show tangible meeting of needs. There's one more that we'll go to quickly. And that is help each other walk through loss and heartbreak so as to avoid pain's pitfalls. Walk through loss and heartbreak with each other so we can avoid pain's pitfalls. If you have ever lost someone or faced a devastating, painful situation, then you know it makes you vulnerable. It makes you doubt. What was clear is now cloudy, and you lose your bearings, and people make bad decisions when they are in the middle of pain and loss. And people become easy prey for those who would want to hurt them when they suffer pain and when they suffer loss. And they start doubting themselves. They start doubting the Lord, and they can get angry and embittered at the Lord. They can start medicating their life through drugs, alcohol, or sexual desire. And all kinds of things happen as an offshoot of pain, as an offshoot of loss. And so how do we help each other walk through loss so that we aren't easy, so that we're not vulnerable? Because what seems to be happening in the text is this. I've lost my husband that is my financial support. That is my partner in life. And I don't know what's next. And along comes Mr. Charming false teacher. And he's strong and he's confident. And you're vulnerable and you're open. I just have another doctrine. Or I just have another desire that can meet yours. And some of the greatest access points for players to play or for false teachers to pray, P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y, on people is people who are vulnerable, lost, lonely, and desiring. And so that seems to be what's happening here is they get pulled away from Jesus to a marriage with someone who is lost or a marriage of someone who is a false teacher. And they leave Jesus because they're lonely. They leave Jesus because someone met a tangible need in their life. They leave Jesus because their loss made them vulnerable. And what I would say in that case, never undo in the dark what you did in the clear. Never undo in the dark, that is pain, loss, sadness, sorrow. Never undo when dark is around you. What you did and you solidified 
when it was clear and good and you could see well, right? And so there's that element, and then there's the last element. And so when it comes to these younger women who cannot be enrolled, these younger women who are still working age and, and family age and, and, and still have plenty of energy and all that, um, one danger is they will become prey to be pulled away by false teachers or players who, who want to prey on them. But there's another danger. Now, ladies, you know I talk to guys for like two or three weeks in a row, right? And I challenge them to be responsible. And I challenge them to start taking ownership of their life and their soul so that they can grow to take ownership of other people's lives too. And, you know, I challenge them to set purity boundaries and have accountability and, and, and to set the pace of a relationship where you understand exactly where they stand and they've protected you by putting boundaries in place. And like, I've hit them. So those... Now that we come to this passage, I need you to give me a little bit of credit back because there are some temptations that are not exclusive to women but are more particular to women than they are to men. Like Those are not exclusive to men. They're more particular to men. These are not exclusive to women. They're more particular to women. So what does he say? When you lose productive work, when you gain excess free time, or when you avoid some of your responsibilities to do things you want to do. The danger is that you become an idler, meaning instead of engaging in the responsibilities I'm supposed to take care of, I'm going to kind of jump around and have fun with my friends, and we're just going to start talking, and we're going to flit from house to house, and we're going to talk about stuff at this house, and talk about stuff at that house, and we're going to be a little bit involved in everybody's life, not in the good way of discipleship, but the bad way of like meddling, and we're just going to flit around, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to have a good talk with each other, because we, we love the Lord, and we love each other, and you know, can, can you imagine, like, oh, do you know what she's doing? Right? Have you seen her? You know, do you know how she's acting? Do you know what she's doing? Have you seen, like, how she dressed or what she talked about? Like, you just start gossiping about the people that aren't in the room. And so the, the dangers that are not exclusive to women but are more prone to women is that you're going to sit in a group of women. Because y'all, y'all talk more than we do, generally. Maybe not me. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And there's times where women will have a little more free time than, than, than guys. So two particular dangers is you'll sit in a group of ladies and the subject will shift to a person and that person isn't in the room. And gossip begins to form and so you either slander, I'm going to hurt their reputation by our conversation, slander, or gossip, I'm going to tell you information you have no right to know about this person. That's gossip. And so we just are talking, we're having a good time, and then without proper boundaries and without holding each other accountable, we start drifting into talking about people as a very natural continuation of a conversation. And the Bible warns against that here and in a thousand other places. You're going to be tempted to hang out with women and gossip. And so you need a plan of boundaries and and commitments to each other that you aren't going to let your conversations go there. That you're not going to let your interactions go from godly and encouraging to critical and gossiping or slandering. Like You're going to protect that. I have teenage daughters. And tea is a very important topic of conversation. You know, I don't know why they're that interested in tea, but they're very interested in spilling it all over the place. And I have to just, like, remind them, right? I have to remind them, like, 
Guys, uh, we, we don't want to talk about people, right? We want to we want to we want to affirm people. We want to find the best in people. We don't want to run people down. And so that's just a warning that comes. It is it is easy for us to become involved in other people's lives instead of taking care of our own. It's easy to begin to talk about other people's lives instead of tending to our own heart. It's easy to kind of bounce around instead of lock in to the commitments, responsibilities, and pressures that God has put into our own lives. Now, that's for everybody. He just gives that particular warning to close out. The point of this is when people experience pain and loss, and they will in a body this size, we get the privilege of walking beside them. And when we walk beside them, how do we help them not get stuck? How do we protect them so they are not easy targets uh, that are vulnerable? How do we love them so that they can feel the affirmation of God's love in their life in a place where they can't see it themselves? So that they, they, move, through the, they move through the process of, of grief to hope. They don't freeze at some point in the middle of it. Right? And that's, that's something that we will get the very sad responsibility to do because we're part of a family with 300 and something people in it. And because we're part of a family um, with mothers and fathers and ourselves and our kids, we will have the stewardship of suffering. For our senior and aging parents, will we steward them to hope? We'll have the stewardship of suffering because some people will lose in a very untimely way, somebody close to them. And we get to hold suffering in our hands and minister hope through it or withdraw because it is very uncomfortable. And it is not something we're good at. And there is no being good at it. And there is nothing to say. But we can step in or we can pull back. We get the stewardship of stepping in. A few practical things. Here we go as we wrap up. What area of deacon, hopefully I put area in R. What area of deacon oversight are you called to serve in? Oh, good, I added there. What area of deacon oversight are you called to serve in? You have spiritual gifts by nature of your conversion. What are you going to do about it? And try it. Right? Just go try it. There's some areas that you can try. How can you honor the seniors that are in your life? And how can we honor them as part of the church? This is something that's been on the radar a lot lately. And this is something we're really working hard because we want to be biblical expressions of the gospel and love and honor people who basically are part of what we get to experience today. They planted yesterday. And so how do we honor and love them well in this season of their life? That's a big question that we're trying to answer, and we're trying to do better because we realize we have not done that as well as we should. Uh, and so we want to apologize for that, but we also want you to know our commitment is to do it better. And then the last one, where are you tempted to idleness and or gossip, and what boundaries might be helpful? If you know this is something you're tempted to, and if you know that your conversations go there very easily, then just sit down with your friends next time. Like, guys, look, I'm sorry because I've been contributing to this. I know I'm part of this. Can we just help each other not go there anymore? There's a lot of things to talk about. There's an eternal Jesus you'll never know the depth of to talk about. There is wonderful qualities in the people around you to talk about. There's amazing things God's doing in the church to talk about. There's great experiences of life and how to deal with kids together and how to deal with parents together to talk about. Like, you don't have to go to each other. And so... Find ways to like make sure your group's committed to honoring the Lord with their words, not falling into that. And so, gray hair is a crown of honor to those when it is gained in a righteous life. 
Gray hair is a crown of honor when it's gained in a righteous life. How do we treat the elderly? Honor. Who is truly worthy of all intensive effort? Those who love the Lord and who have faced loss and who have invested their life in service to others, developing a reputation. That's the answer to the questions of the text. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, help us rewire our heart and how we view the aging. Help us rewire our hearts to how we view lives made in your image in nursing homes, lives made in your image in lonely homes at home, lives made in your image where life is harder than it used to be and so many factors contribute to it. God, would you, would you start by making us people who honor and love and then would you just give us the wisdom to go work that out from there. We pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. So as we come time for the invitation there's nothing easier than passing through the religious system of America. I went to church when I was young. I'm in college now. I'm in a campus ministry. I've been in this church for 25 years. And you can pass through the system of religion and miss Jesus Christ and his salvation, and I plead with you not to. Have you ever been confronted with your sin by the Holy Spirit? Have you ever turned from your sin to put faith in Jesus Christ, not your church attendance or ministry attendance and membership? Have you put faith in Jesus in a way that converted you and transferred your affections to him from you and that you're growing in that over a lifetime? Have you believed in Jesus? would invite you to do that. Right now, come and we can talk or fill out the white sheet in your, in your bulletin. We would love to talk to you through that. But maybe what you see is there's these little idlenesses of your character, some lazy pockets. Maybe what you see is, man, your tongue gets way too loose about people way too quickly. Maybe there's some other thing that would just harm the reputation it talks about. Or maybe from the text today, you realize, I have a despising attitude towards people that are older than me. And I want to repent of that. However that is, like, let's, let's respond to the Lord in that. And then... Let's all together make a fresh commitment that we're going to be part of the honoring support structure for everybody in the church, not just the people in our little brackets of the church. Let's stand together and sing. You respond.